I'd invite you to take out your Bibles with me or your devices and uh, turn with me this morning to the book of 1 Samuel in your Old Testament there. And while you're turning to that, I'd remind you that um, a couple of the publications that we put out on a weekly basis, we have uh, our bulletin, and it has all sorts of things that are going on. Our district assembly um, is coming up in April, and if you've interacted with that before or you're curious about that, um, there's a, at the bottom of the bulletin, there's this little connection tear-off card, and, and you can fill that out. You, you can always give us your address, phone number, email, um, prayer requests, and so forth. There's little boxes at the bottom to request uh, information and, and so forth. It's a good way for us to keep connected with you and you to get your questions in the right place. Um, there's a little box at the back of the sanctuary that you can drop that card in on your way out, and uh, we'll be in contact with you. Um, so if you're interested in, like, district assembly or you know, we've got our annual meeting coming up and youth group, there's, you know, some um, in announcements that are on the back. I don't want to belabor that point. And then the other publication uh, is our core guide. And we're, you know, a couple weeks into our core group session uh, for, for this uh, winter quarter. And uh, there's a place on the front of that core guide where you can jot down things that you might want to remember from today's message to talk with your groups about. And then on the, the inside, uh, there's daily devotionals that kind of keep you in the scriptures that we are journeying through together. Um, so we're in this morning, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2. And we're going to read a prayer that's called uh, Hannah's Prayer or Hannah's Song. Now, some of you may not know who Hannah is. Um, Hannah was a woman in the Old Testament. Her husband's name was Elkanah. And you, you recognize her yet? Some of you do. Some of you are like, I don't, I've never heard of those names. Um, Elkanah had two wives, Penina and um, Hannah. Penina was blessed with children. Hannah was not. So she was barren. It's a great weight. Uh, in that culture, uh, it was a source of great contention, of, of huge hurt, of shame, and it had an economic nature to it as well. Back in those days, you had kids to be your social security when you got old. You had kids so that you had somebody to provide for you and take care of you when you could no longer do that for yourself. So this woman, Hannah, was barren. And she, you might know Hannah better by her offspring because God did bless her with children. Her firstborn was a son we know as Samuel. And Samuel, well, he's a prominent figure in our Old Testament. He was uh, considered one of the, the judges of, of Israel, uh, a priest in Israel. He was a, uh, he was a leader, uh, a moral leader, a religious leader, a political leader, 
Um, he was instrumental in bringing what at one point was kind of a loose confederation of tribes and tribal leaders. He began the process of bringing those together into a nation. Samuel was the one who anointed Israel's first king, Saul. And he also anointed, when he was just a young boy, uh, King David. Samuel is also, you, you might know Samuel better from an episode in, in his childhood. In Hannah's lament before God, when she was barren, she made a promise that if she was blessed with the son, that she would dedicate him back, give him back, literally, to the Lord. That he would be raised in the temple to be a, a servant of God. And so Samuel, at a young age, went to live in the temple. And while he was there growing up under the, the priest at the time, his name was Eli, Samuel was laying down at night near the Holy of Holies, and he heard this voice that called out and said, Samuel. He said, what? Not seeing anybody, he ran in to Eli and woke Eli up. What is it? You called. No, I didn't call you. Go back to bed, kid. So he went and laid back down again. Second time, Samuel. Up, up he pops. Doesn't see anybody. Goes in, shakes Eli, wakes him up again. Parent, kids, you ever do that to your parents? Go wake them up at night. Yeah. I didn't call you. Go back to third time, Samuel. He runs in. What do you want, Eli? I didn't call you. I'm guessing that Eli was a bit frustrated, but he has a moment and he recognizes that it was God talking. God was trying to get Samuel's attention. And he says, go back to bed. And if you hear that again, say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And that's what happens. And so God begins this ongoing conversation with Samuel. Now, this is free of charge. This was not in my sermon notes, but it just seems appropriate to speak into a time when we are all gathered corporately, all of our ages in one room, is that it seems to me that um, God uses our older generations to help our younger generations learn how to listen to God. And so for us older folk, I think it's a good reminder that one of our primary responsibilities is to help our young ones hear the voice of God and respond accordingly. And for our younger generations, who don't have it all figured out yet, it's wise to listen to your elders because they've gone before us and they have paved a way and they can direct us 
along the right paths to hear the voice of God. So now you're, you're a little bit familiar with the characters now. So when I say Hannah, we're talking about Samuel's mom, okay? And so if you're with me in 1 Samuel chapter 2, she had gone through all of that heartache and pain, and she was depressed, could not eat. She tried to, she made this bargain, if you will, with, with God and said, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give him back to you. And so this prayer that I'm going to read for you is the prayer that she offered as she was in the process of giving Samuel back to God. It goes like this. She says, Then Hannah prayed, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My strength rises up in the Lord. My mouth mocks my enemies because I rejoice in your deliverance. No one is holy like the Lord. No, no one except you. There is no rock like our God. Don't go on and on talking so proudly, spouting arrogance from your mouth, because the Lord is the God who knows, and He weighs every act. The bows of the mighty warriors are shattered, but those who were stumbling now dress themselves in power. Those who were filled full now sell themselves for bread, but the ones who were starving are now fat from food. The woman who was barren has birthed seven children, but the mother with many sons has lost them. The Lord, He brings death, gives life, takes down to the grave, and raises up. The Lord, He makes poor, gives wealth, brings low, but also lifts up high. God raises the poor from the dust, lifts up the needy from the garbage pile. God sits them with officials, gives them the seat of honor. The pillars of the earth belong to the Lord. He set the world on top of them. God guards the feet of His faithful ones, but the wicked die in darkness because no one succeeds by strength alone. The Lord, His enemies are terrified. God thunders against them from heaven. The Lord, He judges the far corners of the earth. May God give strength to His King and raise high the strength of His anointed one. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, that's an interesting prayer upon the dedication of one's child, don't you think? Uh, flip over with me to, uh, to the Psalms. I want to look at uh, one, one Psalm here, Psalm 113. Find that in your, in your Bible. It goes like this, Praise the Lord. You who serve the Lord, praise. Praise the Lord's name. The Lord's name be blessed from now until forever. From sunrise to sunset, let the Lord's name be praised. The Lord is high over all the nations. God's glory is higher than the skies. Who could possibly compare to the Lord our God? God rules from on high. He has to come down. Uh, the original language more, it sounds more like this. He stoops down to see heaven and earth. 
God lifts up the poor from the dirt and raises up the needy from the garbage pile to seat them with leaders, with the leaders of his own people. God nests the once barren woman at home, now a joyful mother with children. Praise the Lord. Do you hear some similarities between those two songs, prayers? Scholars would say, well, scholars argue a little bit over which of those came first. And to me, it's kind of one of the chicken and egg things. I don't know as if it really matters which one comes first. What I think matters is that these words became a community song. These words became a prayer of the community. Yes, prayed by individual, but it made it, it's in the Psalms, and, and that is the kind of the, the Hebrew prayer book. So people would, would pray these often together. Two weeks ago, we talked briefly about the Lord's Prayer when the disciples were curious about Jesus' prayer life, they came to him and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And it's one time where Jesus answered the question straight up. He said, you pray like this. And he started off with our Father in heaven. And he begins, the, really, the, the first petition of that prayer is, hallowed, hallowed be your name. Now, we don't use that word hallow very much anymore. It's, a, it's an old English word. Uh, it, means, it means to, to hold something as ultimately sacred or holy. It means to... Um, it, it, I think Jesus tells us to lift up God's name, to make God's name holy, to sanctify his name, to set apart God's name above all others. And you might think it sounds a little bit odd that Jesus encourages us humans to sanctify the name of God, because isn't God holy already, right? That's our belief. But how many times do we see in our world where people act in the name of God and tarnish his reputation. So maybe Jesus is saying, when you pray, purify God's name where you are. Give people a right picture of what it means to pronounce that God's name is holy. Set it apart above all others. That's how Jesus begins his teaching on prayer. Prayer begins with God, with hallowing his name. We could call it the prayer of, of adoration. As we, as we magnify God's name, our perspective, our own personal understanding, our own personal place kind of falls in line when we put God's name up here and begin there, then we find our own place below that. In the prayer of, of adoration, um, 
We express our deep love, our deep respect for God. We, we worship Him. Richard Foster says the, that uh, adoration is a spontaneous yearning of the heart to worship, to honor, to magnify, and, and bless God. You could say that the prayer of adoration is total selfless devotion to God. It includes two terms that, that we use, that we speak often, praise and thanksgiving. The prayer of adoration is a prayer of praise. It's the prayer of thanksgiving. Um, in the biblical text, there's not much differentiation between prayer or uh, between praise and thanksgiving. The, the biblical authors use them almost interchangeably. They mean pretty much the same thing. Now, our language, we tend to define those a little bit more narrowly. When we say thanksgiving, we typically think about thanking God for what He has done. And when we talk about praising, we talk about um, adoring and acknowledging God for who He is. So, in the English, we kind of separate those into two different things, but in the, in the biblical text, they're one could be used for the other and, and, and vice versa. The, there isn't as much differentiation. They really are an intertwined concept. Jesus, in His prayer that He taught, had, He did not distinguish between praise and thanksgiving. He just said, lift up God's name. Hallowed be your name. So, as we talk about this prayer of adoration... I took the whole sermon and I put it into one sentence, okay? So, if you have a pen and you want to write this down, here's the sentence. Sermon in a sentence, it says, with our hearts bent low, we lift our praise to God and magnify His name above all other things. With our hearts bent low, we lift our praise to God and magnify His name above all other things. And my comments on that sentence are really organized around two pictures. The first picture is this idea of being bent low. I don't know. Kids, have you, have, where, where are all the kids? Wave your hands. You got kids in the house? Yes. How many, and you can answer honestly, don't worry that your parents are sitting near you, okay? Have your parents ever told you to sit up straight? Yeah? Don't slouch. Don't, you know, you got to, if you, if you go around with posture like this, you're just going to grow into that figure. You're going to stay like that. Sit up straight. I mean, your teachers might say, yeah, is that, I remember that when, when I was a kid. We're talking about posture. You got to have good posture. Stand up straight, shoulders back. You know, if you're sitting down, you know, keep your spine, you know, straight and... You know, this is not good. That's what they say. 
And so we're constantly encouraged to maintain good posture. And I want to tell you that the proper posture before God is to be bent low. My neighbor has a dog, Norwegian Elkhound. His name is Henry. Henry has the perfect bent low posture. Whenever Henry comes over, and he's over quite frequently, he likes taking a nap on our back deck. Whenever the sun does come out, out over here, uh, he knows exactly where it's going to hit in this one corner of our deck. Henry knows how to bend low. He is a rescue dog. I think maybe he was abused as a puppy. When you come to Henry and you put out your hand, he bends low like this, and he kind of turns his head. You know, scratch me right there. <laughs> that would be nice. His fur is so thick, you never get down to his skin, so you just, I think you're just shaking fur around, and it flies all over the place. <clears throat> but Henry, when, when you approach Henry, he bends low out of submission out of surrender. He knows who is boss, and he knows he's not it. And so he, his, whole, his whole body bends low. His, his head goes down, and even his front shoulders drop. And I just think that that's the posture that we should have when we approach God. We, we talked about images of prayer last week, and one of the images, you know, you have this, or, or, you know, fold your hands and bow your head and close your eyes. The one that I really like, it looks kind of like this. No, nose into the carpet. I won't make you all do that, but when you go home, try that. Kneel down, put your nose in the carpet, and think, think about the position of your body. Every part of you is bowing in submission. Your heart, your mind, your lungs, your, your insides are all taking a posture before the Lord. Now, when you pray, do you have to get down on your all fours and put your nose in the carpet? Sometimes it might be a good thing to do. I'm talking about our mind, our heart, our will. When we think about going before the Lord, we should have the right posture. We shouldn't slouch before God. We should bow in submission, in surrender to Him. Jesus, in His prayer, He says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. The, next, the very next thing that Jesus says is, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
he did not instruct us to pray to God and ask for our will to be done. Hey, God, would you do what I want you to do today? I, I think I want to expand my kingdom. Would you do that for me? No, Jesus' prayer says, Hallowed be your name, God. Your kingdom come. I will bow. I will surrender. I will submit to your kingdom. I want that kingdom to exist exactly how it appears up in heaven. I want that to happen here on earth. We take the posture before the Lord of, of bowing, of bending low. The prayer of adoration elevates God to his rightful place and teaches us to submit and gives us this proper perspective. So that's the first picture. The second picture is, it comes out of our sentence, with our hearts bent low, we lift our praise to God and magnify his name above all other things. We lift our praise. As we are bending low, we are lifting up our praise to God. And this picture of our, of our arms high like this, lifting our hearts up to God, lifting our words up to God, lifting our songs up to God, lifting, lifting our thoughts up to God, our, our arms are outstretched like this. Now, there's a few police officers in the room, and so when your hands are in the air with a police officer, what does it mean? It means, I surrender, I submit, you got me. Come out with your hands in the air. Okay. Okay. Don't tase me. Now, that's one picture of having our arms in the air, but that's not the one I want you to remember for this one. We lift our arms in praise. How many of you are um, distance runners? Marathoners. Leroy, where are you at? There he is. We got one in the house. <laughs> I w I've run distance, but I don't, I, wouldn't, I don't know if, if I'd classify myself in a distance runner, as a distance runner. Because run for fun, that's just hard for me to put in my vocabulary. But when I was training for marathon and other events, and you had to build up your endurance, your stamina, your strength, to your, your breath capacity to run long distance, and, and you're working on those training runs, sometimes you just get this stitch in your side, this cramp, and you just think you can't breathe, you get no air, you're about ready to double over, it's just brutal. The advice is... Put your arms in the air because it opens all of your breathing passages. When you are doubled over in pain, cursing the ground you are running on, thinking I'd rather die than be training for this thing, and you get that pain right here and you can't breathe, you lift your arms high. You lift your arms high so that you can begin to take in those deep 
breaths. We bend low before, the, before God in submission and surrender, while at the same time we lift our arms in praise so that we can breathe in the Spirit of God that He pours out upon us. Our need, our need for prayer is our need for spiritual and mental breath. We praise God with our arms lifted high. In this prayer of, of adoration, we, we bend low and we lift our praise up to God and we magnify His name above all other things. Psalm 113, and uh, it comes out a little bit in Hannah's prayer, but it's more pronounced in Psalm 113. The psalmist just starts by saying, praise the Lord. It's an imperative. It's a, it comes across as a command that we ought to obey. Praise the Lord. Who offers the praise? Servants of God. When are we supposed to praise? How long are we supposed to praise? Well, now and forevermore is the instruction. Where? Where should we praise God? Well, the text said that we are supposed to praise God from where, from where the sun rises. I don't know if I'm geographically accurate here, but we're gonna, the sun's going to rise over here. All the way over to where the sun sets. All of the ground is covered, right? East, west, up, down, the heights, the depths, they're all covered. Where are we to praise God? Everywhere. Everywhere. What is to be praised? Praise God's holy name. Now, I think names told a story, meant a little bit more in the old days than they do now. In the ancient Near East times, uh, the person's name told you about something about their character. It told you about the nature of a person. And so when the psalmist says, praise God's name... We have to look at the different names that the biblical authors give to God and explore those. And that's one of the exercises that you do in, in your core groups this week. But the name of God represents who He is. No matter our circumstance, we can always praise God for who He is. Now, if you think about Hannah's barren situation, she had prayed long, she had prayed hard about not being able to bear any children. She was probably resigned to the fact that she would have a childless life, but the pain of that doesn't go away because it's something that you live with on a daily basis. And we're told that she had a nemesis, the Elkanah's other wife, who would constantly pick on her about it. She felt less than whole. She felt like part of a person because 
she was unable to, to bear children. And she continually brought this before the Lord repeatedly, and, and, and God responded. And we see the similarities between uh, Hannah's prayer and, and Psalm 113. Um, they both proclaim the name of God who raises the poor from the dust. They both praise God who reverses the injustices of the human condition. She praises God because he turns wrong things right side up. Her first response when she was blessed with a child did not focus on Samuel himself, focused her praise totally upon God, affirming his greatness. Surely he must be the source of such a good thing in a time that seemed so bleak and hopeless and impossible. She exploded with joy and with praise when she brought Samuel to the temple to give him back to the Lord. If you look at 1 Samuel chapter 2, and she praises in the first verse, rejoices. In the second one, she continues her praise with, there's three, she says none or no one three times in that second verse. No other God like our God is, is her thought, but she says that in three different ways for emphasis. God, has the, God is the one, she proclaims, who has, let's just say, the power to transform and the willingness to intervene. If you think about it, you have to have both. You can't have one or the other. The power to transform and the willingness to intervene, uh, she connects those things and you need both qualities. If you have the power to transform without a willingness to intervene, it kind of, it kind of ends in this arrogant, transcendent, uh, this, you could say, distant understanding of God. If you think that he's powerful but just is unwilling to intervene, then, then you, your perspective of God is, well, he's just out there somewhere and he doesn't really care. He could do something, but he doesn't. And if you, are, if you have the perspective of God that, well, he wants to intervene, he's willing to intervene, but he doesn't have the power to, then that's kind of just like a, a feeble sentimentality, you know, where you just think God is impotent to do things. But she proclaims that God is not pitiful. He's powerful. He's not distant. He's close. He's willing to intervene and hear the cries of his people and raise those who are in the dust up to solid ground. This is where Hannah's prayer becomes the prayer of the community because she's telling the story of Israel again in her own way, her own experience of it. Each of us have a story of how God has raised us up in some way. And if you're searching for God, God is the one who is powerful and willing. And he just asks that we would repent of sin that entangles us and keeps us back. 
We praise God in part because of His grace. The grace that, that lifts us up out of that sin. And He adopts us into His own family. And Hannah was joyful because metaphorically she was made whole. By being this gift of being able to have a child, part of her felt like, I'm a whole person now. And when we step into God's grace and we accept His forgiveness for the wrongs that we have done, we have this, uh, this grace that, that just washes over us, and in Christ we can be made whole. And it's reason for joyful exuberant celebration and praise. And the prayer of adoration reminds us of all these things. And we, when we bend low before God and we raise our arms in praise to Him, we find this proper perspective for our life. I don't know, I, I'm troubled when I watch the news these days. I'm not even sure exactly how to articulate the disturbance in my soul. It seems like we're in a time that's very difficult to distinguish between tabloid fiction and, and actual reality. Things are reported in multiple ways. I think very few people actually know truth. And yet, in the hypersensitive, overreactive culture that we live in, we take something that may be just all-out, flat-out lie, and we run with it. And when we talked about hallowing God's name... I think the disturbance in my soul is that, that I see brothers and sisters in Christ who are not acting in Christ-like ways. We need this prayer of adoration individually and corporately. I, I want us in this room, in the body of Christ, I want us to be people who hallow God's name personally, in our families, in our church, in our community, in our schools. Somebody needs to sanctify God's name, to purify it in the imagination, in the thoughts of people who are not here right now. Eugene Peterson, he says it this way. The world isn't the context for dealing with God. God is the context for dealing with the world. So in a turbulent world where we're constantly getting disoriented, worship, and you can interchange the word prayer there, is the way we get reoriented. When we pray the prayer of adoration, we're 
magnifying God. We're, we're bending low and humbling ourselves, and we are lifting our arms in praise, and we are magnifying God's name. And when we do that, and we look at Him, and we sanctify His name, and we hallow it, then we are in the position where we recognize that God is greater than me. And that he is over all of this and that I can find my rightful place. And when we praise something, in the biblical sense, we are saying that I want my life to conform to his name, to his character, to his quality. When Jesus says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray that prayer, something in our lives is going to have to change. My kingdom is going to have to go. I am signing up, by praying that prayer, I am signing up to be a kingdom worker, to be a kingdom expander wherever I go. Maybe let's finish like this. This is not an easy prayer to pray, honestly. When you are born, what's your first word? What does it mean? What does it mean? Help me. I need something. Give me some of that food. I need my diaper changed. I want to go to sleep. Whatever it is. Wah! One word. Asking comes naturally to us. We know how to speak what we want. Give me this. Give me that. I need it. The vocabulary of adoration, the vocabulary of praise, the vocabulary of thanksgiving has to be nurtured. It has to be developed. We have to learn that. And to learn something, you kind of have to start with basics, right? You start small and you work your way up. If you've got your pen, I want to give, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to kind of rattle through these. There's five, uh, Richard Foster, he calls them stepping stones. I've kind of modified his stepping stones, but here's five things to help us move in the direction from to learn this vocabulary of praise and thanksgiving, this prayer of adoration. Start with observing small things. That's number one. Too often in life, I think we go around looking for the grandiose, Focus your attention on small things. I loved the snow when we had it a few weeks ago. It caked the trees with little ice crystals on, on our, the trees on our property, and I took my camera out one morning so I could get a good close look. I went out and I photographed the ice crystals that had formed on the branches. The intricate detail was absolutely incredible. We have a hummingbird feeder. 
They're not floating around right now, but soon they will come back. And to sit and watch a hummingbird will blow your mind. Up, down, backwards, forward, sideways. They chase each other around. It is amazing. Find your own thing. Water. The way it splashes. The way it's just fluid-like over things. The way it finds its way. Connect these things to the glory of God. You start with simple and small things and find God's glory in those. Two is find your happy place. Find your happy place. Find a place, a memory, a thought, a song, a reflection, whatever it is. Find your happy place that is free from all of the pushing and shoving and grasping and grabbing and dissension and division that's out in the world. Find a happy place that takes you away from all of it. Number three is practice gratitude. Be thankful for ordinary things, ordinary blessings that come your way, good things that happen in your life. Be thankful for them. Speak them out loud. If you feel a complaint or just a disturbance in your soul, then then you can jot that down. But if you, for every one you jot down, write like 10 thanksgivings next to it to balance it out. Number four is magnify God by praying Scripture. Turn to the Psalms. It's a wonderful place to learn a vocabulary of expressions on different ways of magnifying God. And there's other places. You can find them online. If you want to chat with me, there's, there's multiple references that are in the Bible that, that praise God, that magnify His name. Start magnifying God by praying Scripture. And over time, those words will become your own words. And number five is participate in joyous celebration. Gather for worship on a regular basis. Be joyful and exuberant. Let loose your praise. While we're in community together, while you're by yourself, sing in your car. Whatever it looks like to you. Maybe it's singing, maybe it's just shouting, maybe it's praying quietly and reflecting. When we do this, we recognize that we're not alone, that we're adding our voice to the angelic choirs. We're adding our voice to all of creation who is praising God's name. Israel was a community of, we could say, a community of doxology. Do you know that word, doxology? It comes from two Greek words. The first one is doxa, which means glory, and logos, which is... which means word, so it's a, it's a glory word. It means to praise God. It, and Israel praised God individually, but together as a, as a nation. In the history of the church, occasionally we will sing what's called the doxology. It, it's like one, one stanza. Um, it was published back in 1709, so it's been around for a long time. 
Anglican bishop wrote it. His name was Thomas Ken. And he, um, in the Book of Common Prayer, he was very instrumental in, in writing out many of the prayers and songs in the Book of Common Prayer. And, and the songs that he, and prayers that he used for the morning and noon and in nighttime all ended with a doxology, with, with these words, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to sing a couple songs, and we're going to close by singing the words of this doxology. And my prayer is that we would become a community that celebrates God, that prays this prayer of, of adoration, that we would be people with our hearts bent low. We lift our praise to God and we magnify His name above all other things. The people of God said, Amen. Amen.